This project is supported by a charitable donation from Pfizer Limited. Hello, I'm Victoria Derbyshire. I was 46 years old and getting on with my happy life. I didn't feel as though I had a care in the world. And then came breast cancer. This podcast, brought to you by the Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity, is for those of you who've experienced a moment like that. And for everyone in your life that's affected too. Your family, your friends, your work colleagues, the people who are caring for you, who hold you close, the people you lean on. It's a podcast for that moment and for what happens next. This episode is called Breast Cancer and COVID. Thousands of women got their diagnosis during lockdown and had to undergo treatment, if they were lucky enough to get treatment, without their loved ones by their side. Then there was the fear that on top of that trauma, you might get COVID itself. Lockdowns may come and go, but the effects of the pandemic on women with breast cancer will be there for a long time yet. I have three women with me who are going to share their experiences and in doing so will hopefully help you. Hello, ladies. Hi, Victoria. My name's Abby. I'm 38. I live in London. Um, I'm a mum of two young boys and I was diagnosed with breast cancer in September 2020, uh, which led to surgery in October and I'm currently having chemotherapy. Hi, everybody. Um, My name's Carla. I'm 51 years old. I live in Surrey. I've got two teenage girls and a lovely husband. And I was diagnosed with breast cancer right at the start of lockdown, actually. It was April 2020, and I had surgery pretty soon after and then had chemo. And I'm looking at my second mastectomy on Monday. So it's all coming up fast, yes. Hi, everybody. Um, I'm Corrine. I'm 56 years old, divorced, currently single. (laughs) And um, I was diagnosed also at the start of lockdown in April 20. Um, I'm a qualified chef and I work in the food industry. Um, In normal times, I'm a fun-loving person, love my family and friends and like to socialise and enjoy life. So... Well, you're all very welcome. Abby, Carla, Corrine, meet each other. Hi. Hi, Hi, Carla. Hi, Corrine. Nice to meet you. Lovely to sit here with you. Now, what you have in common is that you were all diagnosed during the pandemic, as you just told us. Abby, tell us when you noticed something wasn't quite right. Well, I had my second son in in March, actually on the eve of the first lockdown. Um, And then... I was breastfeeding for a while, um, which, as most women will know, sort of can be a bit of a confusing time in terms of what's normal if you're checking your breasts. Um, When I finished breastfeeding in sort of May-June time, I felt like things didn't go back to what I thought was normal. And um, I still thought that anything I was feeling, so I could could feel what I thought was maybe a, a lump or a thickening, was breastfeeding related, but as it didn't go away and I did what I think a lot of women do and you sort of stand in the shower for a few weeks sort of umming and ahhing and then I finally thought I have to speak to the GP which was in September because it was COVID I didn't see her so I just had to describe what I was feeling and she said well just from your description I'm I'm going to do one of the urgent two-week referrals um so that was when I first noticed but I 
personally wasn't sort of worried and I was convinced it was all related to feeding. Mm. And Carla, what about yourself? Well, I, interestingly, actually, I'm a, I'm a BRCA2 um, gene mutation carrier. And I don't know if uh, how many of you know what that is, but you, you may well have heard of it. But Can you explain it for us? Yeah, Carla? absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So there are a couple of gene mutations, one's called BRCA1 and one's called BRCA2. And what they basically mean is if you're a carrier, you have a, a significantly higher chance than the average woman of having breast or ovarian cancer in your lifetime. And I, I'd basically been diagnosed um, or I, I'd had this genetic result about 10 years ago. And I had chosen at the time, rather than to have a, a surgical solution, I suppose, I'd chosen to have lots of screening instead. And so what would happen every year is I'd have really, really intense screening on my breasts and ovaries. And then if anything tiny would crop up, um, they would be able to nip it in the bud and deal with it straight away. Nothing, nothing had come up in a decade. And of course, last year, the screening got cancelled because of COVID. So I didn't get to have my normal screening. So it would have happened in January. And I ticked along and it, basically in March, I happened to be lying in the bath and singing along to myself, feeling the boobs, um, checking them out. And I felt something that felt like a lump. And it just, it, it sounds like such a strange thing to say it felt like a lump, but I wasn't sure. And I don't know how many other people have this experience, but it was so hard and it was so deep. And it was actually kind of felt almost as though it was under my breast. Mm. And I actually, this is going to sound strange, and ladies, you'll laugh at me, or maybe you won't laugh at me, I don't know, but I actually thought for a minute, oh my God, is it is it just my rib? Is it just my rib? And it's always been a weird shape, and it's always been in a funny place. And a bit like you, Abby, when you said, you know, you kind of do that thing where you 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 think you, you leave it for a week or so. Yeah. And I did the same thing. I kind of left it for a week. And then I thought, well, shall I just let my period come and go? Because sometimes your boobs are a bit lumpy before your period, and I did that. And then I had another feeling it was still there. And I called my GP and I thought, this is going to be a hassle, isn't it? Because it's locked down and, you know, there's going to be loads of people who with COVID symptoms. And uh, But she was wonderful. And she said, listen, I want you, especially because of your genetic predisposition, I want you to go in and I'm going to book you in and you'll be seen within five days. And so I went into hospital and I was seen by the consultant and immediately had a mammogram and had... Um, an ultrasound and yeah uh, so I was diagnosed then and there and mm. I, you know the um, radiographers they know what they're looking at straight away I think don't they yeah yeah and you know they confirm it a week later when they get the labs back but yeah so that's that's how I I found my my lump I suppose wow listening to your stories ladies <laughs> um I feel that I was lucky I had a routine mammogram letter which was for an appointment in a a supermarket car park two days before lockdown and I actually wasn't going to go because I thought there's going to be a two mile queue outside the supermarket there'll be nowhere to park there's no way this mobile scanning unit will be in the car park and operating and it just so happened that a friend rang me and I didn't tell anybody that I was going for a routine mammogram you know just one of those things and I said, you know, I've got this appointment for a routine mammogram. And he actually said to me, go. What have you got to lose? If it's not there, turn around and come back home. And I felt a bit guilty about doing that because I was going out. And I felt as though I shouldn't be going out. But I went. I got a car parking space. And I was one of, 
I was only, I was the second person that had turned up for their routine mammogram that day. There were eight people due by the time I was due to go and I was only the second person. And there was no phone number on that letter to call to see if they were still there. Um, I got a letter telling me to go back to the hospital because they'd found something, as we all did. And that letter was um, sent by Royal Mail. And because of COVID, I didn't get it until two weeks after the appointment. Oh, dear. Oh, my goodness. Wow. So so then I had this worry, a slight worry, because I've had cysts in my other breast before. So I was used to having mammograms and having cysts strained. But I got slightly frustrated that nobody picked up the phone and told me, you know, you've got a recall, mm. postmen aren't working, Royal Mail's not very efficient at the moment, come in on such and such a date. And I got more annoyed, I think, because it was a wasted appointment and I felt really guilty. And um, I went back. Um, so I, I waited six weeks from my mammogram to going back into the hospital for my ultrasound. And I still thought, oh, it's probably a cyst. And then the doctor doing the ultrasound, started talking to me about putting um, these titanium pins in my breast because, of course, now with COVID, we're not going to be able to track the lumps in your breast for, for months. We don't know when you'll be coming back in. And that sort of made me very scared, mm. actually, because I thought, well, A, if I've got cancer, how long am I going to wait? And B, you're telling me that this is all a new precedent and you're just starting to do this because of COVID. And um, I came away and still didn't really think much about it and then went back uh, at the end of April for um, to see a consultant. Right. Where I was diagnosed. Abby, how has the experience been for you trying to do this through COVID and with a newborn and a two-year-old? I think the two things have sort of, um, you know, come together to make to make it more difficult in some ways because um, part of your support network that I have, I mean, for me, my mum, you know, ha- is someone who helps me with the kids, but um, especially since the most recent lockdown, since Christmas, you know, we just haven't felt like that's really safe mm. um she was in our support bubble before that and that that was brilliant but and since then we haven't sort of seen her and you know things like that just um make it really tricky and I do have my my three-year-old he is in nursery but we've had the inevitable um you know they had some cases in another bubble and it all had to close for a couple of weeks so suddenly you're scrambling to get in the car to get to chemo but you know the he, the toddler's crying that he doesn't want mummy to go and I'm just thinking you know <laughs> I can't kind of you can't just take it it's a bit much but on the other hand I mean they're young and I, I just don't know if they'll even remember any of it so that's a great comfort to me mm-hmm. um but other things aside from the kids I think I have found difficult apart from the obvious of you know going to all these appointments on your own just some practical stuff like when I when I knew my hair was going to fall out after the second cycle of chemo, that's when everyone said, it, you know, that it's going to happen. Um, I kind of wanted my hairdresser to help me with my wig and help me cut it and all of that. And But the hairdressers were were all shut and I wanted to find out if I could do something with to my eyebrows, if they were going to go and all the beauty salons were shut. And, you know, it's, it sounds like 
maybe slightly superficial things but it just it feels really important when you're about to like lose all your hair and you know you just want to be able to just put in place what you can to mm. help your confidence um so that sort of thing as well I've actually found really difficult yeah what's been the hardest thing for you Carla regarding Covid and trying to get treatment well my my situation was was really interesting, and I don't and I don't know again how how similar it was to some, to some of you other ladies. But for me, because of again because of my genetic predisposition, the the normal route would have been for me to have a, a bilateral mastectomy, so to have mastectomy on both sides, one for the obviously for the cancer, and the other side as a preventative measure because my my risk of having another cancer is then much higher. Um, but they couldn't do both of them because the the cancerous side was deemed. In an emergency and needed to be dealt with straight away but the other one was deemed non-essential mm. so I had to have my mastectomy on one side and and not the other which is why I'm having the, the second mastectomy on Monday but um so so actually that was psychologically quite hard to deal with it was quite hard to deal with the idea that I would have to go through the same thing twice but potentially quite far apart and I was actually meant to be having the second mastectomy in summer and so that really it kind of messes with your head quite a lot actually because you can't put things to bed mm. so that was one thing and I think it kind of in connection with that the other thing was that really if I'd if I I suppose if this hasn't hadn't been COVID I would have chosen to have um, a reconstruction with my own tissue um, yeah for, you know that kind of lower belly tissue which is what, what we'd have aimed for and and I don't know about I mean Abby you might be in the same situation yeah. and actually also you too Corinne but um that was off the table. So we they were not doing proper reconstruction. So what I've got now is an implant and I'll have an implant again on Monday, which is, it's actually turned out fine, but it was just the idea of, oh my goodness, I've, I have to, there are so many restrictions, I suppose. And, um, but you know what, if I'm really honest, I'd, I adjusted to that really quickly because it was nothing that anybody had control over. Yes. And I know it's the most hackneyed phrase, isn't it, of the last 12 months, it, it's unprecedented times. It's like everybody was trying to get to grips with, mm. with COVID and what it meant. Corinne, what's been the hardest thing for you going through this through COVID? I, I don't know if it's the hardest thing, but I don't think I've really accepted that I've had cancer. Really? And both ladies are nodding. Mm. Yeah. I'm I'm with you on that actually, Corinne. Yeah. There's no time to process when everything else is so strange, I think. And we have no control of, you know, that nothing feels in our control. We're in the hands of a pandemic and the National Health Service and our hospitals and our consultants. So for me, it was really not having control about the outcome of my diagnosis of not having continuity of care, of um, not being informed and not having a cancer buddy. Mm. So, you know, I'm single. I live on my own. Um, I went to the appointment, in an em sat in an empty waiting room for an hour and 20 minutes for a consultant to tell me I had cancer, to walk out, to get in my car on my own, to come home on my own, to spend the next month months on my own because at that time at the stage of the first lockdown everybody was locking down and yeah. everybody was scared of getting covid passing covid you know we were all really good and so I didn't have anybody to sit on the sofa with have a glass of wine with put their arm around for me for my true feelings to come out so 
I feel as though the hardest thing is for me to have to deal with it. You know, like Carla said, you know, practically, solidly, this is what I've got. This is how I'm going to have to deal with it. And I'm in the hands of other people. Have you hugged anyone since you've been diagnosed with cancer? Not one person. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my God. That's heartbreaking. It's awful, Corinne. Yeah, I know. Do you know something? I, I, um, I was reading a really interesting article the other day, and it was actually, it wasn't specifically about breast cancer, but it was about the fact that women who were going for mammograms, interestingly, just routine mammograms, it hit for some women, certainly women who'd lived on their own, it was the first physical contact they'd had in so many yeah. months that this thing as hideous as a mammogram was actually lovely because Gosh. they were just saying the nurse, when she put her hand on my shoulder, it was the first time somebody touched me in ages and you realise how important human touch is, mm. you know, you know, and even if you've got a husband or a partner, with you just to be able to hug your friends yeah I've missed that more than anything in the world yeah when you just said about sitting on the sofa I just I've got this desperate like desire just to sit with a friend on the sofa and talk about it and not be cold or walking and wearing a mask just to sit Corinne have you have you cried since you've been diagnosed I've not cried I've not shed a tear Victoria about my own situation or about my cancer or about walking into hospital on my own or spending what was a total of 26 days in hospital on my own I've not shed a tear and is that because is that partly because of lockdown because you're not with loved ones or people that hold you close I think it's wholly because I am in survival mode Mm. (laughs) and I am the only person that I can count on to get myself to hospital, to cook for myself when I come out of hospital, to, you know, so, and normally I'm the most affectionate person and emotional, you know, emotional person going. I love hugging and kissing my friends. We tell each other, my family, we tell each other, we love each other all the time. And, mm. um, and would you, you know, normally cry at the drop of a hat? I, Well, if something on television like Cowboy Builders comes on, I can get a bit emotional. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think I cried on television last night, somebody giving birth that had had a difficult birth. You know, yeah, yeah, I get emotional. I get wound up about that. But Mm. my own situation, I've been very practical. And and, and this is where I feel as though, and I don't know about the other ladies, I'm later on down the road, I, I fear of repercussions that I'm not dealing with it now. I'm exactly the same. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how whether um, either of you to have had this, but my surgeon referred me t- to a psychologist and I've it's not something I've engaged in before um, any therapy, but I've spoken to her a few times and it's helped. But it feels like the tip of a of an iceberg really is. You said it's survival mode. I, I feel like the way the treatment goes as well, you have surgery or whatever it is, and then suddenly you're thrown into chemotherapy about a couple of weeks later and you you've barely even addressed the fact that you've just had major surgery. Um, Never mind lockdown. Mm -hmm. What do you say, Carla? I I completely agree 100%. Um, I think it's, and I think, I actually think that just from having chatted to a couple of friends who've been through this before, not in lockdown, that they've gone through many of the things um, that we're experiencing. But I think that the pandemic and the situation it's thrown us all into, I think it's heightened it. I think it's made everything feel much more intense. Everything from the whole feeling of being on a conveyor belt, you know, that that thing that you describe, Abby, if, you know, you're in surgery and then you're in 
chemo and then you know you, you're just on that conveyor belt which is which is vital of course it's life-saving um but you're doing it in a vacuum and it's that strange feeling of doing it in a vacuum and it's it, it's almost as though you can't you can't process what's going on quickly enough mm. and it is really hard really really hard but you get it's like you said color about sort of just that's all you know because i remember i said to the nurse in the chemo ward the other week so you know normally this place must be quite sort of noisy everyone's got one maybe two people here everyone's chatting and i just couldn't imagine it really because everyone's sort of keeping to themselves you know even between patients you don't feel like you can really have a chat because everyone's got their masks on and you don't want to invade someone's space and you want to be safe um and she just said yeah you know it's a completely different sort of atmosphere mm. actually abby something you said just now really it really brought back a memory of, of a moment where i really struggled and it was it was in chemo actually when and and it'll be different from everybody won't it there'll be something that terrifies everybody and for me it was that first chemo ever and you know it was that whole someone's going to put poison into my veins. Oh, my God. And then a load of stuff is going to happen and my hair's going to fall out. And, you know, it was that moment of real kind of terror almost. And all I wanted was to see people's faces and, you know, just get that comfort from a little a little smile or a little micro expression, a little nod. And I don't know what it was like for, for you ladies in the hospitals that you were in, but for us, it was masks and visors because they were being super protective and you just couldn't see anybody's faces and they couldn't see yours. And I really struggled because I was, I almost found myself searching people's faces for little expressions, the smiles behind the masks. And, and I found that really difficult, actually. Mm. I really yeah. did. But the alternative, of course, is you would be at risk of catching COVID, which Absolutely. as a cancer patient, I mean, did that worry any of you? The, 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 the thought of getting coronavirus? Oh, I've been terrified of it, but I, I've been terrified of it more, not, well, I didn't want to be ill with it, but I just kept thinking it will delay my treatment. And psychologically, a bit like you mentioned, Carla, you know, I know how many chemos I've got to have, and then I've got to have radiotherapy, or, you know, before that it was the surgery, and I just thought, if I get COVID, they'll tell me, of course, you've got to get better and stay at home for two weeks and isolate, and I'll I'll be behind, and I, I can't psychologically take that. Yeah. And that scared me throughout. Mm. Also, for me, the thought of getting COVID and my operation being cancelled again, because I had two operations and obviously had to um, self-isolate for 14 days before each of those operations. Um, the thought of getting COVID and not being able to have an operation was even worse than the thought of getting COVID for me. Yes. But the thing that I experienced, and I don't know if, if you ladies experienced this as well, people were worried about interacting with me at any level, even standing on my doorstep and me standing at the door, both with masks on, in case they gave me COVID. So what is yeah. what was already an isolating situation you found yourself in, Corinne, was even more isolating because people were worried about infecting you, essentially. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And I think the small things that people are doing that, I mean, obviously you don't want to, people don't want to have to go to the supermarket, but I think some people say, well, at least, you know, you sort of get out a bit, but I don't, I haven't, I don't think I've been anywhere indoors apart from a hospital since I, I can't remember when, you know, cause I've just been too worried to. So it, it's that extra layer, I guess, of just not having any interaction. Mm. Yeah. Looking through a rammed wardrobe but still nothing to wear? 
Discover how to organize your clothes to give them a new lease of life. Make it easy to put together looks to create the image you want. A simple Marina Rinaldi wardrobe detox video consultation will give you a better understanding of the clothes and colors that suit you best. Welcome to an inspiring, stress-free wardrobe. Corinne, can I ask you what you were thinking when people were applauding the NHS each week? I joined in for the first two weeks and then my operation was cancelled. <laughs> no, I mean, yes, of course, I could understand. We were in a pandemic. We were in very, very, very strange times. But I just personally saw chaos Nobody at that time could offer me a solution to ridding myself of cancer mm. because of COVID. And, you know, there were no operations. There was, just like Carla said, there was not, you know, there was nothing. You know, we, and you could see the almost terror on, on the consultants' faces as well. You know, so I had no cancer pathway and I, I didn't only just think about myself. I felt, I, I felt lucky in a way that I'd had that mammogram at the beginning of lockdown. I was then thinking about all the people where all the services had been stopped that hadn't had that routine mammogram. Yeah, and there would be plenty of those. Yeah, plenty. I, of actually, those. I, I actually thought it was, you know, it was chaotic. I was in a chaotic situation with very many other cancer patients. And how does it feel now? Still feels it still feels slightly chaotic, but it's also a nev uh, an an un an understated road. You know, I don't I I need another operation. I do not know when that operation is going to be. I'm a fighter, and um, I'm lucky that I have been eloquent enough to put my case forward to get um, surgery that both. Abby and Carla were denied. So I did have um, tug reconstruction surgery using my own flesh. Um, but I was held off for seven months to do that. Gosh. Where have you drawn positives from in the last 12 months? Lovely people, you know, <laughs> uh, sending me gifts three times a week. People that I've never even met that... Her, you know, I, I don't know. And and flowers, gifts, things to make me comfortable, things to make me smell nice. Um, the generosity of strangers and the love from people, I think I've I've really drawn in on. Um, you know, that's been a that's been a positive for me. Finding certain charities and the help that they have and breast cancer Facebook groups as well, um, has been really heartwarming and very inspiring. You know, these ladies were talking about, um, Abby was talking about not being able to have her eyebrows sorted and things like that, but it was thing, basic things for me. I couldn't shop for a mastectomy bra. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I had to order them online 
spend a lot of money, hundreds of pounds, because none of them fitted me. And I didn't know what I was looking for anyway. What am I meant? <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm going to have, you know, my tits whipped off. And what am, I, what, am I, what am I looking for? What sort of a fit am I looking for? What am I going to need? Is it going to be too tight under my arm? Is it going to be too tight on my belly? And people like Future Dreams, you know, I just freaked out. People like Sam and Future Dreams just put Monica Tarrington on the phone to me and FaceTimed me, looked at me, sent me some bras. And then after I had my surgery, I was so swollen. I went from a 34 underneath to must have been about a 42. I was just, I expanded with swelling and they put this bra on me and I wasn't in pain from the mastectomy. The bra was killing me. Whip that bra off, you know, <laughs> please. <laughs> So, you know, so the, the real positives are the people that are just so kind-hearted and generous-spirited, people that have dropped off food to my door, sent me flowers, sent me presents. You know, that's really heartwarming. But on the flip side of the coin, if I can say, ladies, is the people that you think are going to be there for you aren't. Um, and I've had a couple of occasions of that one person very close to me that just... I couldn't deal with COVID and deal with cancer at the same time. And they, they literally have not been there for me. And that surprised me, but I've come to accept that. It took me a long time to work through that personally. Mm. You know, like Abby was saying about um, seeing a psychologist, but I've worked through that personally and having lower expectations maybe than I, and I, than I thought of some people. Okay, I might come back to that. I just want to ask Abby and Carla about where they have drawn positives from. Abby, where have you drawn positives from in the last 12 months? Yeah, similarly, I mean, the kindness of people. Um, my friends have set up, set up a food rotor when I had my surgery. Um, and But it, not just my close friends, people that I haven't spoken to for years, I've sort of heard and got in touch. And jumped on this food rotor and I had my surgery in October and it's still going and it absolutely blows me away and I, <laughs> I get quite emotional when I think about it um also kind of small kindnesses I'll always remember when I was going to the breast clinic to get my results from the biopsy and a bit like Carla said I knew from the radiologist's face and everything that happened at the first appointment what what the outcome was but I didn't you know I hadn't had the results and we got to the door of the hospital and everyone was queuing with their two meters and the security guard said to my husband, you have to wait outside. And she sort of looked at my face and she said, where are you going? And I said, the breast clinic. She said, is it results day? And I said, yes. And she said, he, he's got to go with you. Aww. And that just always yeah. was so kind. Yeah. And that's the only appointment, you know, that anyone's been to me with. But it was, it was appreciated. Of course. What kind of food do you get dropped off in the food racer? Oh, my gosh. It ranges from full roast chicken sort of dinner <laughs> to gorgeous oh. lasagnas. Oh. This week we've had homemade falafel. Um, it's it's just so touching. Yeah. Um, I can't overstate it, really. Absolutely. Those kind of practical things that friends do are so, yeah. so appreciated, as you say, Abby. Carla, where have you drawn positives from in the last year? You know what? At the, at the risk of sounding repetitive, but I have to say it, it's again people just being so lovely and so kind and but also being for me being really sensitive and and not wanting to overcrowd me when they know I'm when they know I was really tired with chemo just being really 
just really gentle and really thoughtful. So that was that was one thing that I thought was was amazing. Um, and then actually the other thing, and Corinne, I know you've had such a, in many ways such a different experience, but my my pathway, apart from the things that simply couldn't happen, was amazing. I just and and this, the team around me and this is everybody from the oncology team to the surgical team to the admin staff they were just incredible mm. I just I, I honestly looked at them and they were heroes I was just so blown away by how incredible they were um, and really the, the one other thing that I took strength from it's a really strange one but I just it, this whole experience over the last year has really shown me that I'm tougher than I thought I was I'm stronger than I thought I was. And I've kind of sat back in quiet moments, again, in the bath. The bath is obviously my place where I kind <laughs> of you know, have those moments. But um, of thinking, wow, you know what you've done? You've done an amazing thing because I, you know, I, I decided right up at the beginning, almost as soon as I had this news to deal with, I decided how I was going to deal with things. I thought, right, I'm not going to feel like an invalid. I'm going to feel like me. And this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do this. And I'm going to do this. And it doesn't matter how bad it gets. At least I'm going to try and do this. And there are a few things that I kind of put into place to, to do. And I kind of got to the end of my chemo and thought, wow, you did it. You did it. Mm. Well done you. And I thought, God, I'm tougher than I thought I was. Anyone else yeah. relate to that? Definitely. Um my friend sent me a beautiful print that says you are stronger than you think. And it just sits by my bed and I look at it and you do feel a bit proud of yourself because you think, yeah, I'm going in week on week, you know. And as you say, sort of having this poison, which I need and it's saving me and I'm grateful for it, but it's not, you know, so nice. Doing it by yourself um, whilst getting on with other things in life. And I think I do that thing that I think a lot of us do where you're sort of always saying, oh, but I'm lucky because of this and it's not so bad because for other people they're losing their jobs or this and that or whatever it is sometimes you've got to stand back and say yeah this is really hard and yeah. <laughs> I'm doing it yeah. um yeah Corinne I got a lot of um I mean I got a lot of praise from other people telling me you're strong doing this you know like oh you're handling this really well um and at times when you don't really feel that you are you don't you don't see that in yourself and then, like the both of you, you do sit back, take stock and think, well, actually, I've done this, this and this. I've been to these appointments on my own. I've been through that surgery. I did manage to get out of bed that day and make myself a cup of tea and a sandwich and then go back to bed. Or I did sit on the sofa that day or I did go out for a walk. And then you realise that what people are telling you that they see is actually true. It took a little while for me to realise that I was actually that strong at that time. Yes, I agree. That's exactly the feeling I had. It, it took me a while to catch up with it. All the things that other people were saying was so right. Mm. Can I ask you all what, if, if it's okay with you, what your prognosis is? What do the medics say about the next few months and years? So, so mine is they're hoping that it's secure that they're hoping that it's absolutely fine i mean um because again because of my my genetic predisposition mm -hmm. it i have to just take extra care but um you know for me my i was very fortunate in that my cancer hadn't spread into my lymph nodes and there wasn't any i think they call it vascular 
uh, invasion. invasion. I'm not, not quite sure. Yeah, I think that's what they call it. So I think they're hoping that, that all is well. Um, that's all I know. Abby? I don't know about you, ladies. Um, I mean, it's positive in the sense that they were able to remove the cancer with the surgery and my chemotherapy and radiotherapy and hormone drugs are all to sort of keep it at bay and catch any strays. Um, But in the initial part of my diagnosis, I I was sort of told and it looked like it wasn't in my lymph nodes, but after my surgery, it turned out that it was um, and had the um, lymphovascular invasion. And so whilst it's a really good prognosis, um, you know, it's, I guess that always means there's a possibility. And when I ask my um, oncologist for sort of percentages you know they're never as high as you want them to be about recurrence mm-hmm. so that's what keeps me awake at night but overall you know it's a good prognosis the cancer's been removed and I've you know I'm having the the chemo and radiotherapy so that's what I try and focus on sure Corinne yeah I mean I am in remission so as far as I know they have removed all the cancer um I'm awaiting Uh, a second reconstruction surgery Um, and I'll be on oral chemotherapy for the next five or ten years and just checked up on every year or every six months by my breast cancer nurse you know so for me my cancer was caught really early because of that routine mammogram had I have gone for a mammogram and been on that in that missed it and mm-hmm. been on that waiting list I could be sitting here with a totally different story now mm-hmm. and I feel very grateful for that and that's what I I veer towards I I veer towards not oh I've had cancer I've been through all of this you know I veer towards how lucky am I that I had that routine mammogram then you know even though I had a wait of seven months until my first operation they were able to keep me you know stable but I did have rare multifocal cancer so my cancer was in four different places and quite large tumors in one breast and I have to say to anybody listening to this I could see or feel nothing Mm. and even my oncologist could not feel my tumors even though one of them was eight centimeters so they were so deep. So go for those routine mammograms. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I want to ask you how you feel right now and how you feel about the coming year. Um, I feel sort of a mix at the moment of um, lockdown fatigue, which I think everyone's got, and just hoping that, um, you know, we're going to see some easing soon. But I feel um, really grateful a bit like what you said Corinne you know to be going through my treatment and and everything to be on track um and and so I feel excited to hopefully finish treatment and um you know have a summer of seeing friends even if it's outside um and and enjoying things a bit more um and starting to work out what life after cancer looks like which is a bit of a daunting process and life after COVID. Mm. <laughs> um, That's a whole and, different uh, episode of the podcast there. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
you know, for me, having sort of been diagnosed during maternity leave and lockdown and so not having been at work and getting back to all of that, it all feels a little bit daunting, but at the same time, exciting. And so, mm. yeah, overall positive. I feel really optimistic, really excited. And I think it's because I'm, you know, I'm a, a, bit, a bit further down the line. I'm thinking from from Abby, I remember being exactly where you are now, where kind of in the midst of chemotherapy and it just, you know, you're going through those cycles of up and down and, and you know, I've been through most of it now and I've got this other surgery on Monday. And kind of once I'm through the the beginning of the recovery after that, that intense recovery at the beginning of it, um, I'm just really excited about the future. I'm just excited about getting stuck into jobs and projects and and real life again. And when the world starts to open up, yeah, I just I feel really optimistic, really excited, actually. And of course, Carla, you know what's coming now for your next operation yes. on Monday, don't you? And it's that thought of you don't know how your recovery is going to be. And yes. I, my recovery was much easier than I thought it was going to be and than what people told me it was going to be. Um, my only setback was that I got an infection from my donor site and got sepsis. Oh, so that's you? why I had to be really, that's why. And that's what they were worried about. That's why they weren't doing the tug and the abdominal reconstructions at that time. Mm. But that I pushed, pushed, pushed for because of going back into hospital, because of COVID and the risk of going into COVID wards. Yeah, yeah, of course. And, yeah. But I'm positive too. I'm positive. I'm, um, you know, I've obviously got another operation to have, but I'm grateful that I've got boobs. Mm. <laughs> you know, I, I'm grateful that I can put a T-shirt on and nobody would actually know. Um, I do worry about reoccurrence. I was lying in bed last night and it was painful at the site where I used to get pain. And I'm thinking, well, how would I know? You know, how would I know? So, and I'm thinking, no, Corinne, you wore an underwired bra. That's why you've got pain. <laughs> you know, <laughs> get back to reality. But no, I'm positive. You know, I can't wait to, my niece had twins in lockdown. I can't wait to go and see her. I can't wait to kiss those chubby cheeks Aww. of those babies. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I've got little, you know, great nephews up north and I want to go and see them and I want them to jump on me and I want to bake with them. I want to do things like that. I want life to get back to more normality. Yeah. Yes, but, exactly. Yeah. And have a, have a glass of wine with people and actually be able to give them a hug. Yeah, yeah. get no. drunk. <laughs> yes. <laughs> get drunk Those with them. simple things. Yeah, it is, you know, things that, in the past, we've all so taken for granted and um, that emotional connection, you know, that that bond, we are, we're not meant to be like this, are we? No, we're not. No, absolutely. Um, I've got to say, Abby, I don't know how you, I don't know how you did it. Obviously, you have no choice, but to go through treatment with, well, a three-year-old and 10 months old. When you were diagnosed? He's 10 months now. 10 months now. Yeah, he was six, he was so six, he was six months, months when you were diagnosed. Yeah. That's right. I mean, that is just overwhelmed. I, I, I feel overwhelmed just knowing that those facts about your life. You know, you come home from chemo and there are two little delicious boys who need you and want you. And you may not have the energy to do that. Yeah, it's a real mix. I mean, when I got diagnosed, my main worry was I've got to wean him. I kept thinking, I can't just not make him food because he's six months and he needs to start eating. <laughs> and um, before I got diagnosed, that, you know, weaning was my main point of stress. And, you know, then you realise how lucky you were that that was what you were worried about. Yes. Um, so, yeah. But I mean, it's, it's a mix because sometimes it is just too overwhelming and you get that 
you know, guilt of, oh, I've, I really need to go and have a sleep. But, you know, they sort of want you or need you. But then at the same time, there's nothing better than kind of coming home from chemo in a way and just getting those cuddles and, you know, doing bedtime because it just takes you right out of it. Yeah. Um, it's such a distraction. So um, in some ways it's it's been nice they've been my perfect distraction even though it's been hard yeah well, abby corinne carla thank you all so so much for being so honest and frank about your experiences please do get in touch at any time if there's something that you feel i should talk about on this podcast i'm at vic derbyshire on instagram and twitter and please do contact the future dreams breast cancer charity And then came Breast Cancer is a Factory Originals and Six Foot Six production for the Future Dreams charity. Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity hopes you found this podcast helpful. We fund awareness, support and research. If you would like to help us do more, please text WeCare to 70500 to make a £5 donation or visit our website at futuredreams.org.uk forward slash donate. Future Dreams Breast Cancer Charity will receive 100% of your donation. Text cost your donation plus one standard rate text message, UK only. Always get the bill payers permission. We would like to contact you on your mobile phone with news and updates. If you would rather opt out, then please add no info to the end of your message. For example, we care, no info. Thank you again for listening.